Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. Today on the show, we have a world champion mozzie fighter, Pearl Hatchery manager, and one of the founders of the Great Southern Bio Blitz. This is the third year of Bio Blitz, and it starts on the 24th of November and finishes on the 27th of November. 2023. Welcome to the show, Stephen Fricker. Uh, thanks a lot, Ian. It's um, it's great to be with you. So can I just correct you? It's actually the, the fourth year. The fourth year? Yeah, so it's 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003. Oh, beautiful. And Stephen, I'd just like to ask you a few personal questions. Yeah, sure. Where did you learn to scuba dive? Interestingly, I learned to scuba dive in Darwin Harbour. Um, which is probably the probably not the best place to learn to, to dive because the visibility is about a foot. That is hardcore diving, I'd say. Hardcore learning. Yeah, the first time I went in the water, I lost my, my uh, instructor every time we went underwater. Oh, wow. You've got some good skills down pat. And my next question is, what is one of the most interesting underwater experiences that you have had? I think um, probably one of the most interesting ones was um, one of my first uh, few dives I, while I was working in Indonesia to uh, to pull in a uh, an intake line for the uh, hatchery I was working with at the time. We were sort of pulling apart all the weights and, and everything, and, uh, and the guy that I was was diving with uh, his eyes opened up with uh, with an exclamation because there was a uh, a large eel circling around the top of us um, getting most upset because it was in the uh, in the weights that were used to hold down the um, the intake line so uh, yeah that was a pretty interesting uh, introduction to um, to diving in uh, in Indonesia I bet it was and when you say large how big would the head have been of this eel I think it grows over time but <laughs> I think the eel looked like it was about two metres long. It was just huge. And the head, as it, it sort of opened it up, and I reckon it could have taken my whole hand. Oh, wow. That's a big eel. And did you get out of that experience with all your fingers? Yeah, we, we managed to get by. We uh, we sort of backed off quite a bit and uh, deconstructed the thing from a, about a couple of metres away. And, um, and, and Stephen, do you have any sort of like scientific background? I did an undergraduate science degree and then went on to do a honours uh, year uh, where I did some some research. On, on skinks, actually. Oh, beautiful. From that, I did more of technical things. I uh, worked for a little while in Indonesia doing pearling um, and Darwin. I spent a long time doing mosquito research in, in South Australia. So I did a lot of uh, survey management and um, and that sort of thing for many years. Beautiful. What is the Great Southern Bioblitz? The Great Southern Bioblitz is a period of, um, I suppose, scientific recording or, or citizen science recording of biodiversity in, in local areas across the Southern Hemisphere. It's uh, something that came up a few years ago where we, uh, a group of us uh, got together to, to um, try and engage the public in exploring biodiversity. People over the, the weekend, they um, use this platform called iNaturalist to uh, record any living things within their, their particular area and um, upload that to uh, the platform. Each area, I suppose, has a little bit of a friendly competition to try and see who can record the most biodiversity. Um, some regions are, are convinced that their their area is the most diverse in the world, and we have about five different areas that claim that. And it's all done in good nature. We don't really have any any particular prize except for bragging rights. Some areas offer little little incentives to their local um, people, particularly the uh, young people, to get them involved. It's kind of a fun fun thing where people get together with these projects on iNaturalist. They're all, um, they're disparate around the world or the southern hemisphere, and we all try and re record as much as possible. Has there been any any rare or endangered species 
that have been spotted in locations that they're not supposed to, you know, like... We do get rare and endangered species recorded every year. We had actually a, uh, an endangered isopod discovered in um, in Victoria a couple of years ago. I'm not really sure if we've had any specifically recorded in our area because most of them are um, obscured. That's the good thing about iNaturalist is the, the rare and endangered species are are obscured, so people can't go and collect these particular species, which is, which is great. Wow. But on iNaturalist, there's definitely been... Um, new species discovered with the platform, also extensions of ranges. Every year you see papers produced that have extracted iNaturalist data or have collated data to, to look at the uh, the ranges of, of different species. Outside of the Great Southern Biblets, uh, I was involved in um, finding a new species of uh, mosquito for Australia that had only been um, identified from a single collection back in the 50s, I believe, and it was recorded up in far north Queensland, many thousands of kilometres away from where it was discovered in in, um, in northern Papua New Guinea. Yeah, from a person who was just doing some moth work. They were looking at moths and um, they saw this mosquito and took a photograph and it was a new record for Australia and only the second time that species actually has actually been seen. How do you discover these mosquitoes? Do you set traps for them or use that? Well, we, we do in some citizen science projects, but with this particular platform with iNaturalist, they're just, uh, people just take photographs of mosquitoes when they see them. Oh, wow, that's simple. Yeah, yeah. And then just upload it to the platform. So this guy who was um, he's a, a person who's interested in moths. People go out and put up a, a light uh, outside at night and um, and, a, and a white sheet and they'll collect moths. But they can also see all sorts of other things such as beetles, wasps, and indeed uh, mosquitoes. And this person, uh, he uh, took a photograph of the mosquito because it looked odd. And it is quite a pretty little mosquito. It looks like nothing else that I've ever seen. And he uploaded it to iNaturalist some months later. And um, it was seen by a colleague of mine, Cameron Webb from uh, New South Wales. He didn't know what it was. He's, he's a pretty uh, pretty experienced uh, medical entomologist. And uh, yeah, we had to explore the uh, mosquito world to find out what it was, um, including getting contact, um, being in contact with people in um, in the UK to um, have a look at some material over there. But fortunately, the, the picture was uh, was really clear and we were able to, uh, to identify this particular species just from a photograph. Oh, beautiful. And how did you get involved with the Great Southern Bioblitz? I was doing some citizen science engagement work at um, in, in South Australia and um, and sort of extending from that I, I decided to uh, get involved in something called the City Nature Challenge which is held in April each year uh, and I did that with a with a local um, citizen science person called um, Phil Ropeman. We did our first year but it was in, in April on the Anzac uh, long weekend and it was really not a great time so this was when COVID was uh, was sort of just starting to happen, and um, because uh, I suppose I try to organise things, I got in contact with uh, several other people who um, were also holding the um, the City Nature Challenge for the first time in Australia, and we we sort of networked together to try and coordinate that City Nature Challenge. When it was all said and done, we sort of thought, well. It'd be better to do something in spring. About a month or so afterwards, I called everyone up and said, let's do it. And that's where it came from. We decided to change things from the City Nature Challenge and um, make it more of an event that was based on local government areas because we wanted to involve people in all over Australia, in um, in local communities everywhere. Uh, so we, we defined it by local government area. On further conversations, we had some, I had some friends in um, with Brazilian connections. I knew someone in Lima. We we just, in, in Peru, and I knew some people in Africa. So we decided to make it a Southern Hemisphere thing. It grew from there. We thought we might get 30 people. 
but we ended up with, um, I think it was over 100, 140 or something in the first year. And it was organized in from May through to September. So it was only organized in about three months. Oh, wow. The next one, what date's that starting again? I said it earlier, but I can't remember. It's the 24th of November, was it? Yeah, yeah. After our first our first GSB, we, we had conversations with people and they really wanted to rotate it around spring. So each year it tends to be in a different uh, month. The first year was September. The second year was September. And then we had it in October. And now we're having it in November this year, the end of November. The following year in, in um, 2024, we'll, we'll have it again in, in September. So it does rotate around those um, spring months because we're working in such a diverse area. We want to make sure that everyone gets involved. So down in the south of Argentina in September, it's uh, it's still under snow. So we want to give them opportunity to have that sort of flourish of spring in November. Which state or country is the most active? That's a tricky question. I think Victoria has actually been really involved over the last couple of years. The uh, Entomological Society of Victoria really um, loves the uh, the GSB and they've been involved and in, in holding uh, a moth nights and things like that uh, as an event. But also um, South Africa uh, the, is organised now by the um, by the Botanical Society who are heavily involved in um, in citizen science. So they, they use it to engage people in their research and collect data. They are, are very well coordinated and very, very well organized. But then again, um, I could also say Peru because um, we've had uh, one of our like founding organizers, one of the first people I got in contact with, um, Antonio in Lima, has uh, really created a, a great group of people in Peru and they're very active um, in Peru coordinating the, the, um, the GSB. So it sort of depends on the context as well. So it's kind of a tricky question and we don't like to play favourites and find out, you know, who's the most active because they're active in different ways. You know, some some areas um, have the most number of uh, records per person, and others just have really good engagement, like some of the some of the South American countries. The networks are all using iNaturalist. Yeah, we decided to, to use iNaturalist because it's relatively easy to use. Um, it's it's free. Uh, there's there's no hidden costs. Uh, some of these platforms have these uh, sort of hidden costs around that, but uh, it, it's uh, it's run by a not-for-profit now. It's like independent. We just like the idea of of working with with that group, and all the data then goes to the Atlas of Living Australia, uh, which can be used by biodiversity researchers, and then uh, from there it's piped into GBIF, which is a international biodiversity database that people can extract data from to to work out these things you were talking about before about. Uh, extensions of ranges and yeah. new records for new areas or rare and endangered species. So that's why we use that platform because we, we feel like it's relatively easy to use and 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 the data is is, is valuable as well. A lot of the citizen science projects have their own specific app, which is great for those specialised apps. But for what we're trying to do, get people involved in biodiversity, learn about their local ecosystems, we feel it's better to have something that's uh, multi-purpose and and free and accessible to people. Um, there are issues, of course, around um, data usage in some countries and and um, access to uh, electronic devices, but that's something that we simply can't control. We can control access via um, the platform that we use. The thing that I'm getting, the vibe that I'm picking up, is that um, scientists these days are really interested in what citizen science people are doing when they're putting stuff into iNaturalist because... It's all going into a database that scientists are going to use. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. The um, 
The data collected by iNaturalist has been, I think it's, last time I checked, it was uh, about 2,500 scientific papers have been have utilised data from iNaturalist. Oh, wow. But that data, that, that's out of date by by some time. So it'd be, it'd be more than that. I, I just saw some the other day. So one of the problems with scientific research these days is the cost of collecting data. It can be quite, quite expensive to go out and collect data. And you can also only collect it in certain areas. You know, it, it can be quite, quite um, difficult to find the people to go out and collect things. So if we can tap into uh, people who are out doing a walk or a hike in the countryside who might just take one or two pictures and upload that something that I think, oh, that's a bit unusual or even something that's common because common things are just as important as rare things because they might not be common in, in 20 or 30 years time. That data, that data source is really a really important source of biodiversity uh, presence absence data. The good thing about this platform is that it is checked by people on the platform. There are a lot of really expert people, people with a lot of knowledge who can um, can help uh, correct the uh, the data, correct the identifications. So it it's quite a useful useful tool because we're not all experts. Some people you know, know know a lot about a little a little bit about a lot, and some people know a lot about a very little group of uh, organisms. So getting experts involved, which this platform allows, um, allows us to uh, to collect some fairly reliable data and share that with the community. I mean, that data again is is it depends on the the taxon. Some things like birds are really easy to ID, but some of the beetles and 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 flies can be really hard to uh, to identify. Interesting. And is there any one piece of data that is worth discussing, like say about invasive species? Well, I think that's one thing I'm I'm quite interested in because I've got a bit of a background in biosecurity as well. So invasive species can be tracked using this platform. There's a few issues with that though, like things like um, like weeds and plants. Some people don't like to up- upload pictures of those on their own property because then they may face increased costs due to management. You do have those sorts of issues. I think there's been a bit of an issue with that with deer in southern Australia. They want to go out hunting, but they don't want to be uploading uh, pictures of deer because then they might be controlled and then they won't be able to hunt them. It has got a lot of potential to do that sort of stuff. And um, there are some apps that and platforms that do try to use citizen science to collect information on invasive species. And certainly it can be done with iNaturalist as well. In New South Wales, I think they have a, a Feral, feral watch, I think it's called, our platform, which allows you to, to or farmers to track feral species on their land. Why are some of the pictures of animals obscured on iNaturalist? Uh, do you mean the uh, the locations? Yes. Yeah, well, it can be for all sorts of reasons. Um, they could be requested to um, to obscure them. So if something's endangered, okay. um, like a threatened species, yeah. they will be obscured automatically. Yeah, so things like orchids. So animals are probably not not a good example, but definitely orchids. A lot of orchids are obscured, and that's because um, when you upload a nice picture of an orchid, it could you might think it's just a fairly common species, but it could be a rare or threatened species. Um, we've had examples in, in South Australia where people have uploaded a, a nice picture of a of a beautiful orchid, and then the people from Wild Orchid Watch, which is a citizen science initiative in South Australia, well, in, in Australia, have gone back to have a look. And there's been a hole there and no orchid, which is disappointing because when you transplant those sorts of orchids, they often don't survive. Uh, but people who are probably a little bit ignorant of that, they they want to collect them. And this has also been an issue with some of our, our members in um in South America who have uploaded pictures of trees and um, 
they've gotten messages on the system going, hey, can you go collect me some seeds for that? I really want them. Um, I'll pay you for them yep. if you don't mind. So there is a there is a thing with that sort of poaching, but a lot of the people who do use the app um, are fairly fairly across that sort of behaviour and, and it's not really tolerated. Animals, um, the same thing, but probably not as, as important as plants because animals do move and it's a bit harder to, to actually catch animals. Yeah, but definitely threatened animals and animals that, that do face pressures from, um, from hunting, such as uh, pangolin, I would imagine, would be obscured just because uh, we don't want people doing the wrong thing. And when they are obscured, people can be safely assured that these uh, these uh, records, they still look like they're in the same place for them. But when other people are looking at the record, they actually get randomly dropped within a 20 by 20 kilometre area around the, um, the observation point. So um, when you're looking at it or I'm looking at it, we can't actually work out where where the, uh, the observation was made. What is the age group of the average person that gets involved with the great southern bio blitz and iNaturalist? It's not really a straightforward question either because in some areas <laughs> because in some areas we have um, like more retirees yeah. involved. Got more time on their hands. They got more time on their hands. Yeah, they uh, they tend to be involved. Um, there's a bit of a complication there because some people are apprehensive about technology, uh, but that's, you know, you just show them how to use the app and they, they, they love it. However, in, in other areas like in South America, uh, um, a lot of university students and, and younger people get involved. And um, so we have a, a, a quite a, a quite a young population getting involved there. Uh, and one of our best observers, I think, two years ago in Peru was, I think she looked like she was about 10. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. She she um, she was taking pictures of everything. So you know, you people who are, who are quite young can, do get involved, so school-age kids. Um, and in some areas, they t- tend to be a bit more more prevalent. But o- often, it's uh, people who uh, who are probably a little bit older, um, university students, through to through to um, through to retirees. Um, but depending on the area, uh, I think often it's it tends to be the people with with young kids who are quite young. Um, yeah, don't are not as involved because they've got other things they want to they want to do. Interesting. And how successful? has the previous BioBlitz has been? I think in, in the first year, we had uh, 91,000 records during the four days. Oh, wow. Uh, in participating areas, which is, which included about 12,500 species and just over 3,000 people contributing from around the world. And was that in the three-day period or uh, four days over a weekend and that that was in 2020 during during covid okay and that was our first event where we thought we might get you know a couple hundred people maybe 30 areas that was that was really quite good in the second year we doubled that um, to about 180,000 observations about 21,000 species in that year we had 19 countries involved from three continents we translate everything into to three different languages spanish Portuguese and English. So it's a lot of coordination involved. Last year, when it was held in October, I think we had about 220,000 records. We had about just over 6,000 observers and slightly more species at around uh, 23,000. We had more countries involved. We had 26 countries and we had uh, just over 200 different projects from around the world involved. Crikey, that's a, that is a lot of coordination. Is it important that um, social media is playing in this? We have got no funding. So we do this uh, ourselves with, with zero funding. So um, most of our uh, our communication is done through social media. So um, social media is very important. Um, we, we post a few things on Twitter. Instagram is really important and Facebook. So uh, we rely on um, 
people helping us post things and, and and taking interest through social media. It's also important to to give feedback. We do try and give feedback quite regularly to let our people who are involved know what we've achieved. So every year we produce a, a wrap up, which is um, which gives a summary of how the GSB has gone and um, you know how we've increased or you know, how the number of records has gone in each area, each continent, and even each each country as well to let people know sort of what species that, that was observed in those areas, what the breakdown was of you know like vertebrates compared to invertebrates and plants that's pretty interesting as well because you you get this bias regional bias of, of recording like in South Africa there's a lot of plants recorded because a lot of people who participate there are really interested in their plant biodiversity that whole Cape region is just immensely biodiverse so they really get into that whereas um, in Australia we have a lot more insects involved because people like the uh, the entomological society of Victoria oh wow and why do you think people are interested in this and if they are interested how can they get a team together for the observations people are interested because uh, they're discovering I suppose when we first created this project it was a time when you know, people were, were cooped up inside and we really tailored it towards finding out what's in your backyard. And I think people are interested. You know, you see people posting things on Facebook all the time. You know, what's this? Can someone help me identify this? What's this bug? And we try and um, tell these people that put it on iNaturalist and the information can be used by researchers and you'll get the information a bit more reliably than um, yeah. than what you will by just posting it to Facebook. So I think there's a bit of an interest in people just finding out what's actually in their area and um, how is biodiversity affected by the way that they live. So I think there's those sorts of people find it quite quite interesting. How can people get a group together to get involved with the day? Yeah, we, we would like to see uh, groups like, you know, friends of groups and and, um, and different nature-based groups getting involved and, and, and holding little events in their area. But if you've just... Uh, you know, someone who's interested by yourself, um, you can have a look at our uh, our umbrella project on on iNaturalist and see if your area is is included. And if it's not, you could actually just set up a, a project within your particular um, LGA if you want to. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, yeah, it's pretty easy to set it up, and you just need to you know, coordinate with a few people locally, some friends, and you know, let's go out and record some nature on the weekend. Let's go for a walk and just take some pictures and upload them to iNaturalist. And provided it's within one of the areas that we uh, we join to our umbrella project, that data will contribute to uh, to our project we don't want people to just do it on the weekend we would prefer that they they do it throughout the year if you're out in your garden watering the lawn or you see something different you know you've got everyone's got their phone with them these days you can just take a picture of um of what you've seen and upload it to um to our naturalist and find out and discover what you've encountered during the day that's right i've done it myself i've taken photos of like i've seen a snake and i thought oh, i haven't seen that before clicked it and then i put it on my facebook voila within a minute someone's telling you what it is yeah wouldn't it be great if that data went to um to our naturalist, our naturalist. To- <laughs> to help with extending the range or letting us know more information about that particular species of, of snake. Totally agree with you. Do you get a lot of macro photography on the iNaturalist? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's some amazing photographs on there. I mean, I would strongly recommend you don't look at mine, but there are some um, some really good uh, people out there who take some fantastic photographs um, locally here in, in Australia. Um, every state's got three or four people who take some fantastic photographs, particularly in, in New South Wales. There's some great people there. But, uh, but but also around the world, if you want to learn about what's actually out there um, around the globe, you can go visit a particular country virtually. And um, if you're into insects, just filter by insects and have a look at some really amazing um, uh, macro uh, macro shots. Wow. And are these people finding microscopic animals? 
There, there is actual, there actually is a project for microscopic um, animals on on our naturalist. Um, there's not as much because you know you need some specialised equipment. So uh, you need to have some some pretty good photography. You can use these little portable microscopes and things. Yeah. So people do do use that, but um, yeah, it's more the macro shots with a uh, with the camera that takes small insects that we we really see on there. But there are definitely some people who do take some some shots with uh, really small small organisms such as um, protozoans and things like that. How important is the BioBlitz becoming for the science community? I think where the value lies is that we introduce people to uh, citizen science and to these uh, biodiversity uh, collection platforms. So we're not really doing a particular citizen science project, but what we are doing is is increasing the pool of people that collect data that can be used in these uh, these citizen science projects. And um, if people become used to using a platform like iNaturalist and they want to get involved in something like a koala count or a uh, the great pollinator count, that they're not as afraid to to use the, the, these platforms. So we, we see our role as increasing the user base. And and also, we, we do hope that people in using something like iNaturalist, they will learn more about biodiversity, learn the species that occur around their area, increase their, their scientific literacy, and therefore um, want to engage more in um, in citizen science. No, that's what we want too. Is the BioBlitz also underwater? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's anything within within a region. If there's a region uh, included, then it's definitely within, within that area. We um we've had contact with the uh, sea slug census people who work on nudibranchs. Oh yeah, yeah. We we have a, a sea slug Sunday as part of our uh, our event. That sounds like something you get from McDonald's. Yeah, it does. It does. So um, yeah, the idea of that is to get people out rock pooling on a on a um, on a Sunday, and um, you know hopefully looking at some sea, some nudibranchs uh, and some other things. Now I, I must admit that I've just not been able to find a nudibranch. I'm I'm not. The best um, at for hunting nudibranchs, but my goal is that this year I will I will definitely uh, be able to to get a few. I realise they are very very small, but um, I, I'm up for the challenge. Um, I know there's been a few um, seen in um, uh, down at the foreshore in Darwin, which is where I'm currently living. I'm hoping to uh, to include them on my um, my Great Southern Bioblitz this year. That's my uh, my self challenge. Beautiful. I'd like to see some of the dive shops and dive clubs actually get involved with this bio blitz. And, you know, every, um, say, Sunday when they go for a dive, the last five minutes of the dive, that they can, you know, all take their happy snaps. And when they're, you know, got all their gear cleaned up, they can all stand around uploading their photos to iNaturalist. Well, that would be fantastic because we have a project on the Great Barrier Reef. This is the second year they've been involved. So it'd be fantastic to have some of the divers up there involved. We also have a project down in uh, Cape Town in South Africa, which is one of our original projects. And we have had a, a dive group involved uh, there uh, previously. So we hope we get some great um, dive shots there. We've had some fantastic anemone shots. And we also have, uh, you know, Fiji involved as well, some of the islands in the Pacific. So it'd be great to have some of the divers uh, from there involved. In fact, one of our organisers uh, from New Caledonia is a, is a diver. So hopefully we'll see some, some uh, good shots from them if the weather's good. So yeah, we we absolutely uh, 
like to see some marine uh, biodiversity on our on our scoring board. And will you be doing any diving on the on the day? I've just recently done a crocodile awareness course. That's what I was thinking. There's a lot of crocodiles up in Darwin, and you'd be a big man to jump in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that that's something I want to do. There's some freshwater spots that we might be able to go into, um, but also there's a uh, I think there's an area for um, a protected area for swimming down at um, the foreshore. I'll have to have it investigate that. Has the BioBlitz revealed any worrying statistics? Our BioBlitz, I, I don't know whether I could really answer that. I mean, um, it's it's difficult. I mean, the, the definitely the iNaturalist uh, data more broadly will be able to um, look towards um, some, some other information about species uh, distribution that we might be concerned about. I, I, I'd have to look into that. Um, I think there's been a few you know, extensions of ranges and, and things like that. I know there's been a lot of data around... Uh, shifting ranges of species so i'd have to have a look and uh, investigate that and get back to you to see whether or how much of this is has used um citizen science data i, w- I would m- imagine there there would be a few um that that have um, bits of information that have been used to uh, to highlight shifting ranges particularly around marine systems but I'd have to, I'd have to have a look. What part of the BioBlitz are you mainly going to be involved with? Generally, I'm, I suppose, what you call a convener. I connect everyone and do all the coordination behind the scenes. That's what I generally do in the lead up to the GSP. And then I'll go out and uh, probably make a few observations over the weekend, provide some feedback to people. So I'm more of a me and, and one or two others do do, do that um, that whole coordination thing. I connect with people in Africa and South America, and we uh, we set the whole thing up. So that's the sort of role that I play, and then locally in my uh, my local area, I uh, I try and get um, people together to uh, during the weekend and go out and observe observe things. Uh, I've recently moved, so over the last three bioblitzes, we um, me and two of the other co- co-founders, we would generally go out on a road trip on the Sunday, spend the day travelling around South Australia, and sadly that's not going to be the case this year because I've moved and um, one of the other co-founders has moved to Sydney to take up a role. So this year I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll probably do something similar. But um, I'll see if I can grab some iNaturalist enthusiasts in Darwin to go out and explore on the weekend. Is there a kids iNaturalist app that they can use? With iNaturalist, you know, a lot of there's a lot of young people using it, but there is a, a restriction on people below the age of 13 having their own account. And it's quite a simple restriction. It just means that they have to pay a fee. And the fee is around uh, making sure that they have a parental consent to, to be able to use the app. But uh, younger people definitely um, uh, can use something called... Uh, Seek by iNaturalist, and it's a modified app. And people can use that to just identify things in their local environment. And to be honest, uh, I think it's quite a fun thing, and um, you don't have to be a kid to use it. It is designed for kids, but anyone can use it, and it's it's quite a fun way to... uh, to explore what's in your backyard. So that's the way we get kids involved. I know Michelle, our co-founder from uh, Queensland, has been heavily involved in the Scouts and they try and get Scouts and, and Cubs involved and she gets them out with an iPad to using uh, using iNaturalist all the time. Yeah, there's definitely a role for, um, for iNaturalist in, in schools. Some of our people down in, in South Australia have been uh, involved in talking to outdoor educators and getting them involved in using um, citizen science and using the iNaturalist app in the classroom for engaging kids. And I've used it at university level to uh, to investigate things like, you know, species distribution, how you get biased in collection data due to, you know, uh, people being around. You get these little, if you look at the distribution of, of certain animals they tend to follow roads um, and be confined mainly to to national parks yeah so it can it can be really interesting there's all sorts of questions that you can answer around um, 
you know, biodiversity and um, species distribution, biogeography using iNaturalist, you know, at all levels. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to try and make using iNaturalist part of my daily routine. You should. Oh, I've got images going through my mind now. You know, like when you see a white car and, and then all of a sudden you see white cars everywhere. I bet you it'd be a bit like that. Yeah, I um, did an engagement project with older Australians and we went, went to uh, use iNaturalist and citizen science to engage them in in the in community and, and getting out and getting around. Every time we went out to a park, they they turned to me and say, Steve, that was amazing. I just didn't know there were so many species in that particular park. And we would go to some small parks. I'm talking, you know, one or two housing blocks. And we'd go there and I'd, I'd do a do a spiel and we'd have a look at how many species have been recorded in the park. And I say, I bet you we can add another 40 or 50 species to this species list. And they'd look at me and go, you're insane. And we'd go out there and we would do it. We would double the species. We would add 40 species. We'd add 50 species. Yeah, it was really, really amazing. And we did these uh, these moth nights as well. We've, we've, we've done quite a few moth nights in South Australia where we do a talk and get people along and, and do a bit of science communication. And uh, set up a moth uh, light and then um, people would go and have a look at them the moths and you tell them stories about you'd see you know, how many different species you'd see and they look at you like yeah you're mad they'd go out to the the sheet and you know kids older people everyone they're just amazed about how many different types of moths there are if you actually have a look most people think they're just a little brown moth but if you actually go up and have a close look i challenge you to see how many moths are, are attracted to your back porch light wow yeah i've never thought of that before the older people going out, I'm thinking, gee, this is a like an environmental treasure hunt. So go and find this and go and find that and discovering this. How does their mental health, does it improve with just keeping active? It's been a little bit of research on engaging with nature. And there's there's evidence to suggest that having some time in nature certainly does help with people's well-being and fitness. We found some, some uh, we did a fairly small study, but we did find, find some, some indication there might be something there. We looked at all sorts of things about community engagement, uh, uh, health, uh, physical activity, and, and, and those sorts of things. But the key is with these sorts of programs is, uh, and any citizen science program is, is continued engagement. So getting people um, continually engaged, having opportunities for them to, to go out and meet and, 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 and speak to people with, the, with um, similar, similar views. And it's interesting you, uh, you mentioned the biodiversity treasure hunt because that's, a, uh, that's an activity we do for engaging young people in, um, in iNaturalist and, and the, the Bioblitz. We have had several biodiversity treasure hunts in, in Adelaide where we give them a list of species that they have to go out and find uh, and they get certain points for them just as a fun thing to involve young young people in but i'm sure it would work for older people as well oh it would work for me you just have to mention treasure and i'm there yeah, i'm sure yeah yeah oh well, i can't stop thinking about treasure all the time now you got me thinking about it more yeah that would be part of your day job wouldn't it i'd love to talk to you more but um i'm thinking we're going to run out of time we're going to have to get you back on the show Stephen. yeah sure anytime we're happy to um to have a chat we can talk about uh this or other things let's go through those dates again what are those dates the 24th of november to the 27th of November 2023 annual bio blitz everyone get on the website everyone give it a go everyone get a group together everyone download the app and everyone let's start helping GSB GSB everyone let's all yeah. get involved and let's make this the biggest the best that ever's going to be. GSB 2023. So thank you very much for um, being on the show today and we'll talk to you again and we'll find out those results. Yeah, that'll be great. Thank you. Thanks, Ian. You've been listening to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.